The reign of Mary I ended on November 17, 1558, and that of Lady Elizabeth began. No longer disinherited and demoted, Elizabeth had miraculously survived to become queen. By the time of Elizabeth's coronation in January 1559, life in Mary's reign was decidedly another country. As the procession for Elizabeth's coronation began, snowflakes danced on the air, bowing and sweeping as if upon a stage in deference to the ear-splitting cheers from their adoring audience. The cries of joy were not for the flakes or their thin white blanket that spread itself like a gossamer veil over the city. All those who huddled together by the quayside rejoiced for the tall, slender woman with red-gold hair. Queen Elizabeth had suddenly appeared on the privy stairs of Whitehall Palace in a flurry of activity, cocooned by her entire court of barons, knights and ladies. As she stepped forward, she nodded slowly, perhaps knowingly, at her people in the distance. To all eyes, the new queen made her way down to the awaiting barges with a regal grace not seen since the times of her father, King Harry. To all fluttering hearts, the rekindled joy was palpable. It was two o'clock in the afternoon and the flood tide had turned. The River Thames waited for no one, not even kings or queens. Still, Elizabeth paused before taking the boatman's outstretched hand. She raised her chin skyward, allowing the snowflakes to fall upon her upturned face, and smiled. Did she silently rehearse the prayers she would utter aloud two days later? O Lord Almighty and everlasting God, I give thee most hearty thanks that thou hast been so merciful unto me as to spare me to behold this joyful day. Perhaps not. Still, she was evidently savouring the moment, as she would each of the unfettered moments in the days to come. The years since her mother's execution had been fraught with hardship, disillusionment, and downright abuse from those closest to her. In the twelve years since Henry VIII's death, Elizabeth had danced on many a high wire, with countless onlookers praying she would fall and break that handsome neck of hers. Though she had come close on two occasions, Elizabeth had survived. Perhaps that was in part due to her father's last queen, Catherine Parr, who had made certain that Elizabeth received a first-rate education. This, along with the friendship of key individuals, the instincts of a survivor, and the genetic makeup of the daughter of Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII had ensured that she would reach this day. Yet Elizabeth, as a fervent follower of the new religion, took no credit for God's work. On this day, Thursday, January 12, 1559, she would re-enter the Tower of London precinct as England's Queen. More than any other royal palace, the Tower held terrible memories for the last of the Tudors. Of course, it was there that her mother Anne Boleyn and her cousin Catherine Howard were beheaded for their treason against her father the King. It was at the Tower, too, that only four years earlier she had been held prisoner by Mary, fearing for her very life. Yet it was the way of the Kings of England that they would sojourn at the Tower for two nights before their coronations, and Elizabeth Tudor was not about to break with tradition. As the galleys and barges glided eastward down the Thames, the Queen's barge, with its rich cochineal red Flemish tapestries, could be clearly seen. Elizabeth herself glittered with jewels and was warmed by her rich furs. She sat cosseted at the rear of her long galley, rowed by forty men. There was no doubt that she was the main reveller in the spectacle, sparkling at her own good fortune. 
A band of musicians swathed in the Queen's crimson and black livery played their shawm, sackbut, and drums with a great and pleasant melody playing most sweet and in a heavenly manner. She was England's angel in her gilded galley, slicing crisply through the water, oars rising and falling to the rhythm of the drums and the awe of her people. Meanwhile, the Lord Mayor and his aldermen followed closely behind in their highly decorated vessels. The court and the city fathers accompanying her fanned out across the Thames like hundreds of peacocks in great array aboard their silver galleys and brigantines, their colourful banners streaming, proclaiming their ancient mysteries or crafts. The procession made a choreographed spectacle quite unlike any other along London's busy waterway, with hundreds of barges in the royal entourage rowing in unison toward a single and singular purpose. Il Chiffanoia, the Venetian observer in London, reported to the Doge that it reminded him of a century.